We've reached the end of our rebuild series. And I tell you, I mean, for me personally, I have loved this series. It, it, there's sometimes that I feel like um, I'm preaching to you, and there's sometimes I feel like I'm preaching with you. And this series has just been kind of a refresher course for me. It's kind of something I went back and looked over the notes of something I've needed. And I have been blown away by the direct messages, the private messages, all the different things of people telling me, man, different aspects of their life where they have decided to rebuild. What I always do when I do these series is I, and I'm not going to lie to you yet, it's my job as a pastor to kind of get a, a, a gauge of what's going on in the church and what we need to hear. And it's funny, so many times as I was working on this series, people would pop into my mind. I'm like, man, this is going to be a life-changing message for that person. And what I've learned after 20-something years is everyone that I think needs to hear the message, let me rephrase that, everyone that I know needs to hear the message, that the person that, like, I'm like, man, if there's one person today that this message is for, it's this person. I have just learned they're the ones that will never get anything from the message. But there's so many people that never cross my mind that I never think about, or maybe I don't know an internal struggle that they're dealing with or they're going with. And, man, and over and over and over, those are the people that are like, man, I needed that thought today. I, I'm excited about getting this message wrapped up because here's the reality. I know you think I enjoy being a jerk up here. I, I really don't. And I'm sick after a month of talking about people who want to win and people who want to lose. I, I'm tired of you private messaging me asking, saying, hey, this situation in my life, man, I, I guess I'm one of those losers you're talking about. I, I'm not talking about anybody. I'm talking about what the Word of God says and what you apply to your life. If you feel convicted in an area of your life that maybe you're losing at, don't blame that on me. Blame that on God. Blame that on you for not being willing to do what needs to be done to win at life. Because one thing that I've learned through this series, more than any series we've done in a long, long time is, is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can look at somebody and tell them that they are losing at life. They can be losing at life in every aspect of their, their life can be a mess. And some people will either get it, or some people will come up with an excuse for every aspect of their life. They'll justify the fact that they're losers. Doesn't sound very pastor-like, so let me repeat that in a more dignified way. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can go up to somebody and you can point out all the things in their life that they need to work on and where they're not winning in life, and you can point out the fact, how do I say this a little more dignified, that's more pastor-like? You can point out that they're losers, in life. There's some things you can't sugarcoat. There, you know, when their kids are um, um, growing up and they have to take medicine, the medicine tastes bad for them, what do we always do? We would always chase the medicine with a spoonful of sugar. You know, what's the old Mary? Is it Mary Poppins that a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down? And, and, and then, you know, we would think of hell. So sometimes, though, you can't chase it with a spoonful of sugar. Sometimes you need to be bluntly honest with people whether they get it or they don't get it in hopes that one day they will get it. Sometimes I've learned when it comes to ministry is sometimes you reap the harvest and sometimes you're simply the person who tilled the ground in that person's life. You were able to break up the ground. Somebody else comes along and drops the seed in the ground. Somebody else comes along and waters the ground. Somebody else gets to enjoy the harvest of all that work. But the point is, it's our job to keep each other accountable in life. If I truly love you as your pastor, my job is not to coddle you. My job is not to sugarcoat things to you. It's not my job to make you feel bad, but it's my job to preach the truth to you. And if it makes you feel bad or it makes you feel convicted or it makes you feel some certain way, that's something you've got to internalize in your own life. You've got to work with God and see how God's trying to speak to you. But the reality is so many people have taken responsibility for their life 
during this series. I can't wait to see your lives unfold in that area. I actually started a spreadsheet on my computer of different people who have messaged me in areas they're working on because I want to keep progress up as the year 2021 goes on. I want to watch you rebuild your life. I want to watch you rebuild your finances. I want to watch you rebuild your health. I want to watch you rebuild your career. I want to watch you as you travel down that path because the reality is as you're traveling down that path, you're going to need encouragement along the way. It's going to get hard sometimes. If it was easy, everybody would do it. I was reading a verse a couple weeks ago in Proverbs. I can't remember the exact verse. But it says, as a dog returns to its vomit. Anybody ever seen a dog puke and then it goes and eats its own vomit? I, that's the weirdest thing in the world to me. I'm not a huge animal person, even though we have three dogs, which I don't really understand how that happened in life. Um, but amazing thing about dogs, we've got small dogs, we've got 150-pound dogs, we've got all kinds of dogs. My wife tried to sneak one on me the other day and bring home another dog. And um, here's the deal with dogs. I've never seen a dog that doesn't vomit, that doesn't eat its own vomit. It's weird. And the book of Proverbs says, as a, ref, as, a, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly. So just like we don't understand how a dog would go back and eat its vomit, it makes no sense to us. It's the body's way of rejecting something that's not healthy for it. So many fools go right back to their old habits. So many losers modern translation of the word fool, go right back to the things that they had victory over in the first place. So throughout this series, we've been talking about rebuilding. We've been talking about a dude named Nehemiah. I know I went over it every week, but I want to give you a recap because I want it burned in your brain. I, I remember in Bible college, they taught me, they said, the minute you're sick of talking about something is normally about the first time the people in the seats are starting to comprehend it. So let me talk to you about Nehemiah real quickly. Remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. He had a government job. He took a sip of everything before the king did. If he lived, the king got to drink it. It was a great job. It paid well. You got to be in the presence of royalty. He was very comfortable in life. Nehemiah is walking through town one day, runs into some friends back from the homeland. The homeland that the king he's serving right now had taken into captivity hundreds of years, or his ancestors had taken into captivity hundreds of years later. They had destroyed the walls around Jerusalem, had left the, the um, country desolate, had left the country with no hope. But he had now, 140 years later, this king had allowed some of the people to return to the land. They're trying to rebuild the homeland. Nehemiah runs into some friends, says, how are things back in the homeland? They say they're horrible. We want to rebuild, but we can't rebuild. We want to grow crops, but we can't grow crops. We want, to, we want to put in trade, but we can't put in trade. We can't import, we can't export, we can't defend ourselves because the walls around the city are tore down. The walls were everything in those days. The walls provided a city with its safety. It allowed the city to determine who came in and who went out. The walls were vital to revitalization. You could not revitalize a city if the walls around the city were not secure. When Nehemiah hears this, it breaks his heart. It crushes him. And Nehemiah decides it's time to leave his comfort zone and return to his homeland and begin the process of rebuilding the walls. And we talked about that the very first week of the series. We talked about how do you know what it is in your life that is tore down? I don't know what it is today in your life, but you know what it is in your life. I've kind of shared with you some of the things in my life. There's a lot that's going great in my life right now, but I told you I want to get my physical health back in line. And so I talked to you about that. I was raw with you and honest with you and um, talked about trying to take some steps through that. And I said, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your drinking. Maybe it's drug abuse. Maybe it's some kind of mental issue that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a, uh, your spouse is the wall that needs to be rebuilt in your measure. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids. Been there, done that, understand all of that. Maybe it's just whatever it is in your life. I don't know what it is, but you do. And how you know what it is. And we talked about how there's different things that come along and stir in your heart, but then there's those things that don't let go. For Nehemiah, the wall being was one of those things. So the second week of series, we talked about how to put a plan together. Without a plan, you plan to fail. What's the old saying? Fail to plan, plan to fail. That's how it works. If you do not have a plan in place to rebuild whatever aspect of your life it is, let me make this as clear to you as possible. You will not rebuild. It's impossible. You think you're just going to wing it? You're not just going to wing it. 
you got to have a plan, you work the plan, the plan will work. The third week of the series, we talked about how you deal with critics as you're rebuilding. Because here's what's amazing, misery loves company. Misery loves company. I actually saw this firsthand Friday night. Someone who attends this church, I won't say who they are, came to me and said, man, I won't, I'm working on my drinking. I'm not going to drink anymore. Drinking has taken control of my life. Gary, you think there's something wrong with drinking? I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking. I think, but when drinking controls your life, there's something wrong with it. And this person said, man, I, I, I'm not going to drink. And I actually heard people, and I know what they're going to say. They were saying it was all in good fun. Oh, man, we were just ribbing them, but they were making fun of them Friday because they weren't drinking. Hey, you sure you don't want to sip? You don't want to sip? Because you know why? Because misery loves company. What kind of friend is that? I don't even understand that. Well, you're being a little uptight, Gary. Ah, maybe I'm being upside. I see someone trying to rebuild their life, and I don't understand why you would come along and do that. I, I, I tend to be the opposite. Man, you ain't drinking tonight. You're struggling. Hey, dude, I ain't drinking tonight. I'm struggling. No good. All good. All good. That's what friendship does. But unfortunately, critics come along, and sometimes they come from the outside, and sometimes they come from the inside. Last week, we talked about what do we do when we hit the wall in the rebuild. I'm telling you, I have laid it out for you. It's rare that I get up here with that much confidence in a series. I'm telling you, I have covered everything you're going to need to rebuild whatever aspect of your life is. We've talked about it all. Planning, critics. Last week we talked about hitting that wall. Because you're going to hit the wall in your rebuild. You're going to hit the frustration point in your rebuild. I hit it this morning. Weighed myself this morning. i got to change my day. I weigh myself. Sunday is not a good day to weigh myself. Not a good day. I was irritated today by the lack of weight loss I had had. And so I get mad, I come out, and I do what any person would do. I start venting to my wife. I wasn't yelling at my wife. I was yelling to my wife. There's a difference. I wasn't blaming her for it, but I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I want to throw the scale out in the backyard. I want to stop by Bojangles and get a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit and a Mountain Dew and just say, F it to everything when it can. I was frustrated. My wife, it took seven years for us to get to this point in our marriage. Seven years in, she just looked at me and said, okay. And let me leave. She didn't try to fix it. Wow, amazing, ain't it? There was nothing to fix. She didn't try to reason with me. Amazing. She's smart. She's sly like that. About an hour later, I get a text. No, you're frustrated. I'm frustrated too. But let me tell you something that we didn't do last week, and she named some things we didn't do. We need to get back on track. She waited. She let me vent. She let me get over it. I hit the wall. I was frustrated. I'm back reengaged. Good to go now. And today, we're at the point where, guess what, in our story, the wall is rebuilt. Nehemiah, in 52 days, think about that. Here's a city that had been destroyed for 140 years. People had been back in the homeland for going on a decade now. They could not get any traction. They could not rebuild the city. They could not bring industry back to the city because of the wall. And in 52 days... Nehemiah rebuilds the wall and brings a sense of hope back to the people. I am convinced that we overestimate, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. I'm convinced that we underestimate how much we can accomplish in a short period. Someone asked me the other day, said, what is your five-year plan? I said, a five-year plan? I don't operate on five-year plans. You're lucky if I operate on 90-day plans. Because I'm convinced what I can do in 90 days, I can do a lot. Someone asked me Friday night, they said, hey, I want to do this, this, and this down here in the city. We want to bring this and this and this. Hey, they said, how many months do you need for us to pull that off? And I wasn't being, I was just being factual. I said, we can do that in 30 days. They said, you can do that in 30 days and make sure there's going to be people there? I said, in 30 days, we can do that and make sure there's going to be people there. Let's do it. 52 days, they rebuilt the wall. The gates are up. The people are excited. And now here's the deal. When you reach the goal that you've been trying to reach, this is where the real work begins. Because how many people have reached goals in life only to months later be nowhere near where their goals were. I, I want to be personal, I'm not picking on you today. I promise I'm not going to condemn you, I'm not going to embarrass you. But how many of you are smokers? You smoke. Raise your hand. Raise your hand, you smoke. Come on, I see you outside, quit being shy. Jesus Christ, raise your hand. 
Gail, raise your hands. You smoke. Quit lying in the house of God. Raise your hands. You smoke. Everybody, keep them up. Keep your hands up or I can see them. You bunch of freaking Christian liars. Now, of all you people who smoke, how many of you have ever quit smoking? How many of you immediately, within months, started right back smoking? Yeah. And then here's what we do. We always have a smile. My daddy raised me not to be a quitter. You know, that was always my line. It's easy to quit. I used to smoke. It seems crazy to me that I smoked. I smoked like 23 years ago. I didn't smoke long. Just probably a year. I can't tell you how many times in a year when I finally decided to quit smoking. I don't maybe you never did this. I was young at the time, so money was really tight. How many of you have ever thrown your pack of cigarettes out the car window, and an hour later you're back on the side of the road trying to find that pack of cigarettes? A man over there in the corner got his hand raised. He's that's good preaching today. You know. All of a sudden you're going back to look for the cigarettes you threw out the window. Quinn's easy. How many of you have ever tried to lose weight in your life? How many of you met your goal and lost that weight? How many of you, within a year, gained all that weight back? Right. It's easy to quit. It's easy to meet a goal. It's easy to rebuild. The problem is, is we quit putting in the work once we've met that goal. We work on our marriage, we get one aspect of our marriage day, and we move on, especially men, we're the worst of this because men are goal-oriented. I'm swiping in broad strokes there. Men are goal-oriented. We get that fixed in our marriage. We quit working on our marriage. And then we don't understand why a couple years later we're right back, if even worse than where we started. How many of you have ever said, man, I need to get my finances in order? How many of you have ever got your finances in order? I'm going to raise my hand twice on this. How many of you years later were right back, if not worse, to where you were before? You think you'd learn, you don't learn. It's not that we didn't learn, it's so that we quit putting in the work. The goal was not achieved when the wall was rebuilt. Life continues after the wall is rebuilt. The reality is the rebuilding of the wall was simply the first step in rebuilding the city. There was all kinds of stuff that had to be done after the wall was rebuilt. Now that the wall has been rebuilt, now they're even more susceptible to attacks. Because now the enemies know, man, they're starting to gain power. We've got to cut them off. The wall is rebuilt in the book of Nehemiah, and I see four things that they did. I don't have a lot of notes today, so you should be concerned. It's going to be a lot of free styling today. These points came to me very quickly because they were laid out so quickly. I want to get out of here early today, which means we probably won't. 52 days, the wall is rebuilt and this is where the leadership in Nehemiah comes out. This is where Nehemiah distinguishes himself between being a winner and being a loser. They always say it's easy to win a championship. It's harder to defend that championship. It's kind of a weird illustration, but I run this wrestling promotion, and we've been doing it for two years. And our first year, we won promotion of the year in the Southeast. And it was pretty easy, to be honest with you. We never thought about winning it. We just came in with a chip on our shoulder and decided, man, we're going to win it, and we're better than everyone else, and we had an enemy. And so we chased that enemy down. Our second year, we won it again. But here's the deal. It was harder to win the second year. The first year, I was able to play the victim as I chased it. The first year, I was, I, I was able to be like, man, I want to be the best. But once you're the best, it's easy to get complacent. It's one thing from going to being the one who's chasing to the one who's being chased. I, I think to me, that's what's so impressive about the greats. 
They say that's what separates the great ones from the good ones. I was reading a book about Michael Jordan the other day, and they said when Michael Jordan would win a championship, they had video footage. I was actually watching it on that um, Last Dance documentary. They would come into the locker room, and everybody's celebrating, everyone's excited, and Jordan wasn't even hardly smiling. He couldn't even enjoy it because immediately he's thinking about the next one. I think it's what makes Tom Brady so great. Tom Brady, they say immediately he wins one, he's thinking about the next one. So many good athletes win the championship and they're content because they won it. Heavy's the one who wears the crown. And it's easy to get complacent once you've achieved your goals. And this, to me, is where Nehemiah shows the leadership that he has. He's rebuilt the wall. He's rebuilt the wall in record time. The people of Jerusalem are excited. They're on fire. And Nehemiah continues to lead. The first thing you've got to do after you meet your goals is very quickly you've got to put boundaries in place. The work doesn't stop once the goal is met. Nehemiah 7 after the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to him, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards some at their posts and some near their homes. The walls are rebuilt immediately. Don't miss this. Immediately, Nehemiah goes back to putting boundaries in place. He doesn't stop to celebrate. He doesn't stop to rejoice. He doesn't stop to take a break. He doesn't have a cheat day. He immediately realizes the walls are rebuilt and now there's a whole new series of problems. I've got to put some boundaries in place that keep me focused. We've got to put gatekeepers up. We've got to put security in the right place. We've got to position them right. We need to come up with protocols on when the doors get open and when the doors get shut. He didn't just stop and be like, boom! The gates are up. The wall is up. I'm done. But that's exactly what we do. We get out of debt. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people set goals for their finances. Their finances are get out of debt. They get out of debt and immediately they reward themselves by getting back in debt. I drove that old car for three years. I'm debt free now. $30,000 in debt. Man, I got us out of debt. No money on the credit card. I just put a few thousand back on where I could go celebrate and take the family on vacation. You're saying, Gary, you ought to not have nice cars. You ought to not have anything. No, no, you ought to have all that. If you can afford it. If you can pay for it. Man, I got my health under control and I lost the weight. And I'm not saying you can't go out and have a cheat day and have a piece of cheesecake. But all of a sudden, man, we just quit doing what we've been doing that got us there in the first place. We go right back to our old eating habits and then all of a sudden we don't understand why we feel like crap and why the weight's coming back. We didn't put boundaries in place. Quit drinking. Literally, someone told me this recently. Man, I just hit a year. I'm like, That's awesome. This person's life was decimated by alcohol. I said, yeah, but I screwed up. I said, why? It'd been a year. I just wanted to prove I could have one drink. I couldn't have one drink. No joke, you idiot. You've lost everything in life over drinking. That one drink turned into two drinks. Turned into drinks the next night. And at the time that I talked to them, they were drinking more now than they were before they quit drinking. That's how it goes. You lose 20 pounds, you quit doing the habits, you don't gain 20 back, you gain 30 back. You got $10,000 in debt, you knock the debt out, next thing you know you go buy a car, you're 20000 in debt, you idiot. 
Because you don't put boundaries in place to keep doing what you've been doing. You don't keep working the steps. I shared with you, my dad had been sober. We thought, listen, this is mind-boggling to me. I'm not telling you anything I didn't tell my dads, okay? This is how weak my dad was. 37 years sober. 37 years! We thought. He's the worst kind of weak, though. He's sneaky weak. At least if you're going to drink, be up, wear it like a badge of honor. Hey, if you're having to sneak, probably wrong. Five years ago, starts drinking again. My mom, who again, I've said this to her face, so don't get all upset, who obviously is so oblivious to any reality, or their marriage is so disconnected, doesn't know he's been drinking for five years. My dad's not a smart man. He's not even drinking vodka. He's drinking whiskey. Whiskey smells. My parents retired and moved into a camper together. They live in a camper. Ignorance is bliss, though, ain't it? But do you know for 32 years, and my dad's 37 years, he worked with addicts and went to meetings every week and helped people stay sober, and he worked the steps, and he learned, and he returned, and he poured into other people. Five years ago, they moved. He quit doing and giving back, quit doing what he knew he should have been doing, and right back to what he was before. Weak. Simply because he didn't put boundaries in place in his life. He thought he was above that issue. It's real easy for me to justify how I eat based on my schedule and what I can eat and when I can eat it. You just live once. You're right, I only live once. But I want to enjoy. I want to enjoy. I want to eat whatever. No, no, I want to enjoy the life and not be so fat I can't fit into my clothes. I want to be able to look down and see my feet. I don't want to eat healthy. Anybody ever met anybody who likes working out besides my wife? Anybody know anybody besides my wife who, like, I love to work out? Anybody out here love to work out? Let me tell you something. I do not love to work out. I despise working out. People that are like, oh, my God, you ever work out to the point that you just black out and the endorphins go and it's just the greatest? No. No. Like, literally, some of the day was arguing with me. Have you, man, I just, you, just, you need to start running, man. Did you just ever get into that place when you're running and it's just this is what I, almost orgasmic? No. No. I don't. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I've tried every type of working out there is. I've tried weightlifting, cardio, CrossFit, Orange Theory, I've done it all and hated every bit of it. But I did it. And after I met my goals, I kept doing it. you got to make sure you're putting boundaries in place after the wall's rebuilt. So many times couples go to counseling but they wait to go to counseling when their marriage is falling apart. Let me tell you when you ought to be going to counseling in your marriage. When it's good. If you wait till your car breaks down to get it worked on, there's a reason it's called maintenance. There's a reason you've got to check the oil. I learned that the hard way a few years ago. I thought it was just there. I thought oil was actually black. That was Okay. It's not, apparently. 
You got to continually work on things. The problem is we wait until everything's falling apart to try to get back in tune, and then we don't understand why. After you've rebuilt the wall, you've got to keep working those steps. You quit drinking, keep doing what you did to quit drinking. You lost weight, keep doing it. Again, you, I'm not saying you can't indulge here and there, you can't treat yourself every day, but you've got to know if you can treat yourself. If you're an alcoholic, you don't get to treat yourself with one drink. It's funny, I cut out some things in my life, food-wise. And the other day we went somewhere and I got one of the things I'd cut out of my life. And I felt horrible the next day. My stomach was hurting. I, 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 my stomach was upset. I was literally like, physically in pain. I didn't sleep good. I, had hor- I was burping all day. And, and it, was just, it was horrible. And I got to thinking about it and I was like, wait a minute. This is how I felt 24-7 when this thing used to be a regular part of my diet. I just got comfortable in my discomfort. I got used to it. We went out the other day. It was there again. And I was like, I don't even want that on the table. It made me feel horrible the last time. Sometimes you've got to make sure you're putting the boundaries in place. Keep doing what you did to get there. Second thing, and I think this is where I'm going to camp out today, because I, I think this is the most important one. we got to realize that your rebuild impacted others. Nehemiah goes back. He rebuilds the wall, and look what happens. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. You know why there were few people in it? Because it wasn't safe. There was no economy. There was no import. There was no export. Huge cities, basically empty. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. He goes and lists all the people. The walls rebuilt. Nehemiah rebuilds it. A small remnant of people rebuild it. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. And thousands were impacted by it. They didn't put the work in. They didn't lift a hammer. They didn't carry a beam. They didn't deal with the critics. Put that point back up, Xander, please. But their rebuild impacted others. Let me tell you something. When you begin to rebuild whatever it is in your life you're rebuilding whether you realize it or not, you're impacting others. Let me tell you the biggest lie you tell yourself. You tell yourself that your hurt, your habit, and your hang-up, the thing in your life that needs to be rebuilt, doesn't affect anybody but you. You selfish, worthless Loser. It affects everybody around you. You got a job that you can't stand. You feel like you don't have any purpose in your life. That only affects me. No, no, no. It affects everyone. Ask my wife how I get when I'm in a doing something with my career that I can't stand. I come home, I'm in a bad mood. I'm grumpy. I, I'm not my usual joyful self. It rolls downhill. You heard the expression that rolls downhill? You think your weight doesn't affect anybody but you? You ain't had sex with your wife in six months. It affects her. You ain't went out and threw the ball with your kid in the backyard in six months. It affects them. You haven't helped around the house because you come home and you're so out of shape, all you do is lay around and sleep. It affects everybody. You think your drinking only affects you? Then why your kids want nothing to do with you? Why are they embarrassed about you? Why do you have a disconnect? It just affects you. No, it affects everyone. Because they love you. They want a relationship with you. And you're throwing it away for a bottle? You're weak. You think your drug use only affects you? No. No. You're taking finances out of your families. 
You're taking food off your kid's table. It affects you. You think not managing your finances? Listen, listen, listen. We're passing down horrible financial principles to our children. I've been on this big anti-school kick lately. Because school is worthless. It's worthless. We'd rather teach our kid about angles of a rumbus triangle blah, 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 than how to manage a budget. How not to spend more than they make. School would be great if we taught things that mattered in life. You say, well, what if you want to be an architect one day? That's what college is for, and they can teach you about angles in college. I've never needed to know the angle of anything to put on a wrestling event. But everybody needs to know how to budget. Everybody needs communication skills. Everybody needs computer skills. Man, it impacts everybody. Here's what else you don't realize. Not only does it impact everybody in a negative way, you impact everybody in a positive way. There's people watching your story that you don't even know about. Christine, how many times have you been out and about and random people stop you and tell you, man, you inspire me in this way and that way. It might be through health. It might be through growth. It might be through whatever. She doesn't even know them. But her story impacts people because they're watching you. You don't even realize they're watching you. I'm not going to tell you who because it, I didn't ask if I could tell you beforehand. But someone came to me about a month ago and they said, man, I'm stepping out and I'm going to go do this job. And I'm a little bit nervous. But I said, I watched Robbie and Susie at church step out and do it. And they seem like different people now. So I, I probed, because I know I was going to use it as a sermon thing one day. I said, well, they just smile more. They don't seem stressed. They said, I don't know them well. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. I said, I don't think you are. And they said, well, can I ask you a personal question? I don't even know if you know the answer to this. I said, sure. Are they making any money doing it? It's not my business what their finances are, but I do know this. They told me they're making more than they were before. Guess what? They didn't do that to impress that person. But it impressed that person. That person stepped out a month ago, and they're chasing their dreams now. Ain't that crazy? You don't realize the people that are watching you. I had a guy at the gym stop me. He said, hey, I've been watching your sermons online. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I don't, because that can go any way. I don't know if we're about to throw down. A lot of weird stuff happens to me in the sauna. This was in the sauna. So I'm thinking, I'm going to throw down what to do to my underwear because I ain't got no shoes on. Matter of fact, I tell you what, it was last week because it was after the Conor McGregor. I thought, man, if this guy comes at me, I'm just going to take his leg out because I'm naked right now. And I'm going to get some shorts on real quick. Like, that's just kind of what goes on. And if you ever want a glimpse into my mind, that's what goes into my mind. He said, man, that series has motivated me. I appreciate it. I said, I appreciate it. I thought he was talking about this series. I said, yeah, you're talking about the reboot? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the series you're in right now. And he named some series we did like three months ago. But he's just going to Facebook, and that's what showed up. You know, Facebook has that weird algorithm where weird things show up at weird times. I said, oh, okay. Awesome. Because, man, I appreciate it. You don't realize who you're impacting when you decide to rebuild. You went through hell to rebuild your marriage. But you don't realize over the next 20 years, so many couples are going to come to you going through hell. And you're going to be the motivation they need to stick out their marriage and make it work. You went through hell getting sober. But what you don't realize is, is because you got sober, you put boundaries in place and you stayed sober. You're going to come along and you're going to help so many other people stay sober. Your impact impacts so many other people. It, it's kind of monotonous, so I didn't want to read it, but it's just all the families and their lineage that start moving back into the city. And as the Bible talks about it, it talks about what their professions were. And as they move back in, you can see the vitality of the city starting to take shape. 
and how these people's lives were impacted by the fact that Nehemiah and a few people decided to rebuild. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Your biggest mess will ultimately be your biggest ministry. The thing that almost destroyed you and you didn't understand why you had to go through it is the thing that God is going to use you to impact so many people. There's literally not a month that goes by in my life that I don't have a pastor from somewhere in this country message me. Eleven years later. And I always know what it is. Because I don't know them. Always starts the same way. Hey, you don't know me. I'm pastor at such and such, or I was pastor at such and such church. Can I ask you a question? Yep. And you know what? Hear me what I'm about to tell you. I wouldn't wish what I went through 11 years ago on my worst enemy. It was hell. Still hell. I still deal with consequences of it. But I wouldn't trade what I went through 11 years ago for anything in the world for the simple fact that when people come to me now going through it, I can look them in the face and tell them God's not done with them. God has a plan for them and they'll get through it. I'd go through it again a hundred times to be able to impact the pastors that I've been able to impact through the rebuild of my own life. You might be the only person who can connect with someone out there and they're watching you, waiting for you to get it together because they need someone. They're not strong enough like you are to go down that path alone. They need you to come out and clear the path for them where they can come along and walk along. Sometimes you got to be a path clearer. Sometimes you got to be the guy and say, hey, I'm going to get together. Come on, let's go. I don't mean this in a mean way. I don't mean this in a hurt your feelings way. I don't need a fat person to tell me how to get in shape. You ain't done it. Well, I did it before. Then you were too weak to stay that way. I, I, I teach every subject in the Bible. But there's been many times I've got up on the stage and said, hey, I'm teaching you some principles today that are in the Bible. <laughs> Not principles that I've mastered. Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. But then there's sometimes I'm able to get up on this stage like this series and say, hey, I'm smoking what I'm selling today. This works if you put in the work. And you impact so many people through your rebuild. You think it might be for you. You're just a byproduct of the, you're, you're getting the rebuild just a byproduct of what God wanted to do. God wanted to use your rebuild to influence thousands of people down the course of time because they're watching you unfold. Man, think about the impact you have. Even when you don't know you're impacting people. Even when you don't see how you could impact people, you're impacting them. Because you cared enough to rebuild. You showed someone who thought it was impossible that it's possible. I always like to say I'm an easy person for people to look at and follow their dreams. Because I, I, I'm convinced people say, if that idiot right there can live the life he wants to live, then surely to God I can. I'll take it all day long. I don't ever want anyone to look at me and be like, well, God, he, I, I told you the story. So when I started my first church, it was uh, when, I, when I moved here to start a church, believe it or not, it was a Southern Baptist church. And so um, we got sent to what they called boot camp, boot camp, you know, to start churches. And there was like 50 of us, and they sent us away for a week. And there was a dude in there. He was the dude. You know what I'm talking about, the dude? Like he was a college Division I quarterback. Like a, I, I'm, not, I'm not gay, but if I was gay, man, I'd be all about him. Like I mean, he was blonde hair, blue eyes, he was muscular. You know, he was the dude, man. 
I mean, he had the wife that looked like Miss America. The two kids, man, that just seemed perfect, like their clothes matched. And they were clean. They didn't have, like, spaghetti noodles stuck to the side of their face. He was the guy. I want to be careful how I word this because this might give it away. Um, one of the states in the southeast his dad was the governor of. Check it out, check it out. The Cathy's from Chick-fil-A had donated $1 million to him starting a church. He was the guy. He went and started his church, and it grew. I went and started my church, and it grew. I always made sure our church I pastored was bigger than the church he pastored because that was real Christian, you know. <laughs> real Christian. And... um. But I'll never forget, we were about five years in, and they had a five-year reunion of everybody. I think there was 50 people in our group. There was only 10 of us that were still pastoring at the time, and he was one of them. And I'll never forget the old guy got up there that taught us the class five, five years. He said, he goes, man, you guys are doing great work. You're making impact. And he said, but I don't know that anybody's impacting the kingdom outside of their church like Gary. And I thought, man, that's cool. And he brought up so-and-so. He goes, he goes, I love so-and-so. He goes, but nobody's going to him how to learn to start a church. He had a million dollars. He said, he said, look at him. I don't think he said if he, he was gay, he'd, he'd hit it, but I think he was thinking it. You know what I mean? Because that's what I was thinking. And um, he just, he, said, he goes, he's got the total package. <laughs> now, I think he was complimenting me. But it was kind of like an insult, you know. He said, he goes, man, nobody thinks they can do what he did. He said, but they see Gary. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know how much money I had to start a church? $25,000. You know where I got that $25,000 from? Habersham Bank gave me a loan. That's how much money I raised. $25,000 through a loan. <laughs> Had nothing. I was as ugly then. Apparently, I, according to my wife, I was more ugly because apparently I was hideous when I didn't have a beard. So I don't really understand that. Like, so, you know, saw a shirt the other day that said, no beard, no booty. I'm getting that for Christine because she was telling me, like, if I ever shave, I'm gone. So, like, apparently I was like this fat, triple chin, little, you know, <laughs> flip-flops with my blue jeans. I didn't, like, nothing matched, you know. I think my, I mean, my, I think my daughter at the time was like four or five, and I mean, according to my grandmother, she told her one time she was ugly when she was a kid, so I had this ugly little kid with me, you know. But he was like, man, if Gary can do it, everybody knows they can do it. And he said, he goes, we use Gary as an example everywhere. Like the biggest loser, you know. It's like, the biggest loser can do it, man. You can do it. But the point is, man, people are watching you. You have the ability to motivate and impact more people than I ever will. You know why? They expect me to say the things I'm saying. I'm the preacher. They expect me, when they bring me in their company to give a motivational talk, they expect me to be motivational. But to see you do it, who's simply doing it because you felt led to do it, you impact so many lives you don't even know about. So after we rebuild the wall, what are we going to do? We're going to set our boundaries. We're going to make sure we keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're going to realize that, man, we've impacted so many others. We're going, I like to call it learn and return. We're going to take what we've learned and we're going to return it to those coming up behind us. Because here's the deal. That lady out there who's about ready to walk out of her marriage and give up, and all of her friends are telling them to, you've had the marriage that was almost falling apart. You had the marriage that was on the verge of divorce. You had the marriage where you were on the way to the courthouse to sign the papers, and God restored it, and it's amazing. You're not telling her to give up. You're telling her, I understand your pain. I understand your frustration. I understand where you are. But if you want this to work, I'm telling you, it can work. Third thing we're going to do is we're going to give 
God the glory. That wall got rebuilt not because of Nehemiah. Do not miss this. Nehemiah was simply the person God chose to use. God could have used a donkey if he wanted to. Matter of fact, there's a portion of Scripture where he speaks through a donkey. I preach a message. So if God can use an ass, he can use you. It's King James that ain't cussing. You give God the glory for it all. Nehemiah 8.1 All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, so Ezra was the preacher. They told Ezra, the preacher of the law, bring out the book of the law. The book of the law was the portion of the Bible they had at the time. Which the Lord commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women who were able to understand. And then the scripture goes on to talk about he began to preach the word of God to them and give thanks to God. They didn't bring Nehemiah up on there and praise Nehemiah. They gave God the glory. Let me make this clear to you today. Everything that you have and everything that you are and everything you will be and everything you've accomplished isn't because you accomplished Jack. It's because God accomplished it through you. Matter of fact, if you're looking to rebuild something, and you can do it on your own and you don't need God, that's not the thing you're to rebuild. What you need to do and step out in your life needs to be so big that if God doesn't show up, you're going to fail miserably. I've told you before, this is how I pray. So many people pray, God, please open the store. I've never prayed that in my life. My prayer goes just like this, and you can ask my wife, it's the truth. God, I'm going through that door. And we both going to look real stupid if it don't work. Now, God, I'm good looking stupid, but I don't want you looking stupid. That's how I pray always. Always. But you know another thing I always pray? I never ask God to get in the middle of what I'm doing. I always say, God, let me get in the middle of what you're already doing. God, you show me where you're moving. Well, my finances. God, you show me where you're moving on my career. God, you show me where you're moving on my relationship and help me to get right in the middle. The problem with us is we want God to get on our plans. God, don't give a rip about your plans. Don't give a rip about your plans. Don't care. Don't care. God says, get involved in where I'm moving. Give God the glory. You better make sure God gets the glory. God helped you with your drinking. God helped you with your finances. Has to be God. Because everybody else around you screaming debt, 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 debt. Finance it. Zero percent this, zero percent that, zero percent down. Hey, what's it matter? Just do it. And God's saying live like nobody else. Well, one day you can live like nobody else. Someone asked me, they said, what are you going to do, man? The economy crashes. I'm not going to do anything. My finances are good. I don't have debt. I'm not worried about it. I've got a big enough house. If I've got to move 20 people in to help pay the mortgage, I'll move 20 people in. That's all I've got to worry about. I'm not worried about it. I don't know. Whatever it's called, money for a TV. I didn't go finance the lawnmower. I didn't go put 20% down on the four-wheeler. I don't care. I got my finances right. Why? Because God showed us his biblical principles on how to do that, and we started doing it. God gets the glory for that. I couldn't come up with that logic on my own. It had to be God. I want everything I attempt in life to be so big that people look at it and be like, that had to be God. No way he could do it. I'm an ego-driven person, and I want to make sure God gets the glory in it all. You better make sure you're giving credit where credit is due. 
Because you start taking credit for the rebuild, pride comes before destruction, Proverbs says. Your ego will be your downfall. Look at me, I got this together. No, God gave you the glory. It doesn't matter what it is you're doing. Do you know the Bible talks about so much health stuff? Even something like that, there's biblical principles on health. Biblical principles on how to overcome hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You implement, here's the deal. Let's say you're an atheist today. Awesome. Awesome. Practical advice for whatever you're facing is still in this book. Even if you don't believe it's the Word of God, you believe it's fiction, or a non-fiction leadership book, whatever, still got the advice for whatever it is you're asking. You'll go to Books a Million and look for a leadership book. This is the ultimate leadership book. But you give God the glory. The Bible says when the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men unto Him. You want to know how we draw people to Jesus? We don't draw people through Jesus by rock and roll church service. We don't draw people to Jesus by come as you are. Everybody's doing that. We draw people to Jesus by lifting Jesus up. How do we build? How do we lift Jesus up? By rebuilding whatever it is in our life that needs to be rebuilt and giving God the glory for the rebuild. That's how. When I started my business, it was all God. It made no sense. Makes no sense that you got a side hustle washing cars and a garbage truck company calls you and says, hey, got all these garbage trucks you need to come wash once a month. Or hey, come set up in my parking lot and wash my cars, and then you can wash everybody else's cars. You ain't good enough for that. God did that. God gets the glory. God works those things out. But you better make sure he's getting the glory. I love how they rebuild the wall. I just got to be honest, in my flesh, if I was Nehemiah, I'd be like, pow, You know, that's how it'd be. Nehemiah stops, puts the people in place, and then says, man, we need to get back in the book. Where's Ezra? This is important. Because the previous book before Nehemiah is Ezra, they had just rebuilt the temple. He gathers everyone around because now the temple's safe. And they begin to worship God through it all. Last, and I'm done. And I'm not even going to give you any scripture for this because the whole rest of the book of Nehemiah is the scripture for this. You just keep going. Nehemiah doesn't end in chapter 8. Remember, rebuilding the wall was just the first step. As the book goes on, you'll see how industry returned, how farming returned, export returned. You'll see how Jerusalem began to go back to become what it once was because of the first step. Remember, the rebuild is simply the first step. You wanted to get your health in line. Why? Maybe it's because you could have more energy to chase your dreams. Start chasing your dreams. You want to step out into a side hustle and make it your full-time hustle. Why? Where you could have more time to do what you love, more time for your family, more time to do whatever, not be enslaved into the nine to five, two weeks a year off. Make sure you're spending more time with your family and doing what you need to do. You wanted to get, become financially um, free, debt-free. Why? You had some goals. Because one day you wanted to be able to pay cash for a car or do whatever. Cool. So now you've got out of debt, start saving the money to do those things. You wanted to quit drinking. Why? Because it was destroying you. It was killing you. Great, now you've quit drinking. Start getting your body back in shape. Start rebuilding those relationships that you destroyed through drinking. Start rebuilding that trust that was broken from you being an addict. Someone said, I'll never trust an addict. Yeah, I get it. But guess what? If you're an addict... You do what it takes to start rebuilding that trust. It takes years to rebuild it. They never fully get it back. Not your issue. Remember, other people's opinion of you is none of your business. Gary, did you hear what I don't care what someone so said. I don't care. You care. I don't care. You think that's going to change anything I do? I don't care. It's their opinion. Did you hear so-and-so don't think you ought to be doing that? I don't care. Matter of fact, if you tell me that, probably what's going to happen is I'm going to do it more. So I don't need that. I don't care. 
keep going. You rebuild that aspect of your life, then begin to examine what's the next part of your life you need to rebuild. What's the next part of your life you rebuild? I'm not a real visual vision board type person, okay? It's just not who I am. It's not how I'm wired. But the other day, I saw this Ferrari. Was it a Ferrari, babe, or a Lamborghini? It was a Lamborghini. See, I don't even know anything about cars. But it was orange. I'm on this orange kick. And turquoise. It was awesome. I have decided, and really just because I want to make everybody in Canton mad, that I'm going to make enough money one day that I pay cash for that car while I still pastor the church in the ghetto and really give them something to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, but you got to keep going. Got to have goals. You know, they're spiteful goals sometimes. Hey, here's the deal. I'm going to wrap it up. I told you I'm going to get you out of here early. The rebuild can happen. You can do it. Some of you are too weak-minded right now to do it. Hope that changes for you. I hope you go back and listen to this series again. Some of you don't think this series applies to you. (laughs) You're the one it applies to. You're the one it applies to. You're the one losing at life. While everybody around you is winning. But you're going to deal with everything I told you during this series. Some of you are going to implement this series, and you're going to get to this point today where it's rebuilt, and then you're going to fall it all apart again because you thought that was the end goal. That's not the end goal. The end goal doesn't happen until we take our last breath. Then we're in heaven. I think everybody has turquoise and orange Lamborghinis there. (laughs) My version of heaven. Listen, keep going. Let's pray.